Hello, my name is Thomas. Welcome to British Culture Albion Never Dies. This is my ranking of all 25 Eon Productions Bond films. So, this is something that's been requested, I think, more than any other single topic, um, and it's probably the only one that I haven't really uh, delved into. I think the British Empire has been requested at various points, and I have done a couple of episodes touching on it, especially in the Alphabet episodes, but in terms of ranking the Bond films 1 to 25, that's one that I haven't done. I have talked about the Bond films a bit, and I've often listed my favourite, uh, but... But I haven't really done this, partly because these rankings are always a bit artificial. Um, partly because some of them are not very comparable. You know, the 60s films and the 90s films, it's just a different era of filmmaking. I also feel that each actor brings something quite different to the role. And I think for, for films that can be quite formulaic, that's actually quite a big change. You know, get these different interpretations. So... It's kind of a silly thing. I, I see these articles online, I take them with a pinch of salt. Um, so please do take mine with a pinch of salt. The only thing I must demand <laughs> is that my uh, my top uh, six, well, they are they are set. Um, they're set, but they're my, my favourite Bond film from each individual actor. And that just hasn't changed over the years. Uh, so over the last... 10 years or so, over the last 20 years maybe, it's rarely, rarely been set. And so these aren't in any particular order because it's just my favourite from each actor. And sometimes you're in the mood for one, sometimes you're in the mood for another. Um, so I, I often don't think of them as just better or worse. It's whichever one you're in the mood for, they're all pretty good. And uh, as I say, a different day, I might come up with a different list, but this was really prompted uh, by the Country and Townhouse magazine, which asked me to write an article. So I wrote an article, and this is this podcast episode is kind of based on that. So, so I'll get into it. My favourite uh, films from each actor, just go in chronological order. From Russia with Love, starring Sean Connery, 1963. That is my favourite Sean Connery film. It's more grounded, more realistic than, well, any of the later ones that he did. Um, his, his, I'll say right up front that his later Bond films are my least watched Bond films out of any of them, whilst the first three, uh, Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, um, I think are, are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It did make the franchise. And I do wonder um, if Connery hadn't been so good, if it hadn't been Connery, if the films hadn't been so good around him, uh, would we still be talking about Bond today? Um, I love the novels, but but would it really hit so big without the films? Anyway, from Russia of Love, of course, uh, the film is more set in Istanbul than the book because the book is in two parts. Um, and the film takes that second part more was drawing on the back story of the first and then extends it further further out towards the end and it does subtly update uh, the novel um, to the post-Cuban Missile Crisis. I did a, a special YouTube episode on this a little while ago and as I've mentioned as a Turkish speaker this remains my favourite portrayal of Turkish culture in a Western film and I think Karen Bey is actually one of the most believable Turks uh, that I've seen in a in a Western kind of English language uh, film. I think it's done really, really well. And I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen more, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but yeah, from Russia Love, favourite Sean Connery film. That little bit more grounded, I know a lot of people would say uh, Goldfinger, because that kind of became the cookie-cutter template. Perhaps that's why it's a little down in my estimation. Um, 
But yeah, Russia of Love is my favourite. <laughs> George Lazenby, oh, 1969. There's only one choice. It's his only outing. Christopher Nolan cites it as an influence on his films. And it is solid. Solid script. Solidly put together. Uh, it didn't do so well at the time, but it's been furiously rehabilitated since. Um, but I have to say, I watched it, and I think Diana Rigg is the real, real star as Tracy. Um, yeah. Maybe it would have been great if George Lazenby had stayed and grown into the role and so on, but that that was the path not taken. Um, my next one seems to be surprising to a lot of uh, Bond fans, because I've shared about my top top one for each Bond actor before. Uh, it's The Man with the Golden Gun, 1974. Again, I'll be putting more on this out in my YouTube channel, um, but we have you know Roger Moore as Bond, James Bond, Christopher Lee as the title villain, uh, Nick Knack, Britt Eklund, uh, Maud Adams. I think it's really good for the characters. And of course, Sheriff J.W. Pepper returns. <laughs> I think all the characters are really memorable. I think the locations are great. I like the intrigue. I also like that Bond only kills one person. Um, the person he's licensed to kill. Uh, so I really do enjoy that aspect of the film. That uh, he's not just gunning people down randomly. Actually, out of all the old Bond films... This is probably uh, my longest term favourite. I say old as in, say, pre-1995, uh, where it's all one kind of fairly consistent character. From Timothy Dalton, well, again, he only did two films, but it's probably Licence to Kill, 1989. His bad side is a dangerous place to be, the Shakespearean actor. Timothy Dalton gives a very, very serious take, uh, which, again, might have been a bit jarring at the time after decades of family-friendly adventures. It was rated 15 uh, initially, and uh, that's, that's down to a few pretty gruesome scenes. I think audiences at the time were really not ready for that, um, but I think it's one of the most Fleming-esque uh, films, and, and that's a good thing for me. I think the films tend to fall on a scale of, you know, Ian Fleming to Cubby Broccoli. So Ian Fleming, of course, had been in British intelligence during the Second World War, and the books often have those elements that people talk about from the war, which is, uh, there is the camaraderie, of course, uh, there can be the loneliness when that is missing and you see it in others uh, for the secret agent. Uh, there is the horror and the full-on gripping horror uh, of war. And there's also the boredom in between. Uh, Fleming's books do have those kind of elements uh, mixed into his books. Uh, and again, the conception for me is often that it's as if um, the special operations executive and as if certain wartime outfits had carried on into the Cold War and were just doing the same thing in the Cold War they had done in the Second World War. That's the kind of the conceit of the books. And I really enjoy that, whereas the films kind of level out into you know, more light-hearted fun. I'd say the Cubby Broccoli kind of adds in all the girls, for example. He adds in more of the gadgets and he adds in uh, much more of the gags and light-hearted stuff. So I do think a lot of the films you know, fall somewhere on a spectrum between these two great creators. Licence to Kill goes very much towards the Fleming side. Whilst for Pierce Brosnan, his favorite, my favourite of his films goes all the way to the other end of the scale, the much more Cubby Broccoli creation, Tomorrow Never Dies, which, interestingly, was really the first post-Cubby Broccoli uh, film. Um, he, he had passed away, and whilst Goldeneye uh, he had less and less and less involvement. He'd been developing that for a long time. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was the first one really past his time. 
and in many ways it combines all the elements of all the more outrageous Bond films. Um, I really enjoy uh, Brosnan's performance. I think it's a much better performance than in Goldeneye. It's a much more confident performance. I think his movie star instincts are spot on in this film. And I also really, really, really like the villain. He's kind of a curious combination of Rupert Murdoch, Robert Maxwell, and a host of notorious Fleet Street editors. And there's little, there's lots of little tips for who the character's supposed to be. Uh, one of them, uh, for example, when a girl is translating something and it's, it's an apology, uh, something out of her control has gone wrong, she's just announcing it, but the editor walks past and says, get out of my sight, you're fired! Um, <laughs> and she's left rather confused. Is that an official notice? Um, which is something that's happened in a UK Fleet Street office um, slightly before this time of uh, an intern uh, who was yelled at, get out of this office, you're fired, and they genuinely want, should I be packing my stuff? Am I coming in tomorrow? Is it, how does notice work in this company? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, I see this one, and uh, I say it's got all the elements of the, the classic Bond films updated for the, the outrageous 90s. And then... For Daniel Craig, well, I'm still still pondering this, still too early to tell, but I'll say Skyfall, the old way is the best. I feel it hits all the right notes and it kind of returns, returns James Bond to the, the dutiful agent of the original novels. I think, I think. But if that's my, my, my top my top for each actor um, then let's go through and as I say do take this list with a pinch of salt because I'll put on whichever one I'm in the mood for in any particular time. So this is what I put together for Country and Town magazine. This is how I felt on a particular night uh, out of all the rest. Okay, it has to be Goldfinger, quintessential Bond film. The original book, and I say I do love the books, uh, but the original book, Goldfinger, was certainly one of the weaker entries in the series. I say it's probably my least favourite out of the Fleming novels. But what the screenwriters did is they worked very, very delicately to improve it. They make very small, I'd say very small changes, um, and I think they triumph. Um, I think it's got the best aspects of Fleming and adds to it the best of cinematic screenwriting. And again, Sean Connery plays really well as the, the out-and-out heroic character and it is a solid, solid performance. Um, I slightly prefer equally good performance uh, in From Russia of Love where he plays a much more human hero but uh, Goldfinger is very much James Bond the superhero. Uh, he can do whatever he wants and, uh, and it is. It is a cracking film. Second, uh, see, in this, this now we're getting into the proper rankings, the second one would be The World Is Not Enough with Pierce Brosnan. The rumours long circulated that Pierce Brosnan wanted something a bit more grounded, a bit more realistic, that he wanted his own from Russia with Love. And The World Is Not Enough is probably probably the closest he got. And the film alternates between kind of drama and outrageous set pieces. To be honest, I, uh, on a time watch a while ago, I'd completely forgotten the outrageous set pieces. So I just put on one of the quieter Bond films, and by goodness, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it does feel like a film of of two parts uh, in that sense kind of uh, they're slotted together uh, action outrageous nice little drama action outrageous nice little drama but as Dame Judi Dench really makes her her mark on the series the Scotland scenes are uh, they've got this nice honey glow to them which I think a lot of uh, films set in Scotland around that time they all had that uh, before before we start to have the more bleak cinematography of Skyfall. Um, and it's got that opening bit on the Thames, that chase. I think it's got lots of elements that they would use and reuse, you know, the, the James Bond's headquarters being attacked, you know, that those elements would come out in later films. Uh, I really think The World Is Not Enough was a model for later films. Maybe underrated at the time. 
After that, 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. Roger Moore described it as his favourite of his own films. That opening with the Union flag parachute remains iconic. Uh, when I was working in China, I was uh, teaching something on British culture, and so I used this, uh, that opening scene as he skis off off the cliff as the opening. And of course, these films were not released in China <laughs> at that time. The first one was one of the Pierce Brosnan ones, and even then it wasn't a wide release. So James Bond really hasn't... Uh, really hasn't captured the Chinese market and they find a lot of Chinese people find it very difficult to differentiate out uh, James Bond from any other kind of American uh, movie star in fact many are not so aware it's a British thing uh, but I showed that opening clip from the 70s and watching a whole bunch of people so 30 people 40 people I actually ended up showing it a few times I think I showed it in one of my lectures which had over 100 people and watching all of them utterly fixated by this because they had no idea what was coming when the Union flag parachute opened out. Uh, that reaction uh, was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, so, as I say, it holds up today. The stunts are brilliant. And I think Moore's performance is really good here as he kind of he sells the ridiculous bits, you know, the underwater city, whatever. He sells that really well. But there's also some somber scenes. 007 has to reflect uh, on a man he's killed. And he, and he sells that just right. Not taking it too dark, but he sells it. I think uh, it takes a light hand, and, and he did it just right. Oddly enough, it's another more performance that comes next, which is 1981's Few Eyes Only, where they did a pretty hard reset of the whole tone. Uh, you know, they'd had their The Spy Who Loved Me, they'd had the Moonraker, and they just hard reset For Your Eyes Only. Um, this might have been a Timothy Dalton film, but more was ultimately retained um, and I think it's the polar opposite of what many people call the more era and people always talk about the more films being silly and ridiculous <laughs> I have to say I mean I think that's that's rather overlooking the later Connery films I don't think it's particularly on the act of the things that when Connery did uh, <laughs> gives gives a giveaway for what's coming up later on the list and how far down I put uh, You Only Live Twice uh, but I think when Connery is trying to do this it just doesn't fly like he's really good at the gritty brutal fights um, but when it gets into well fun territory he's really not there whereas Moore was really good at selling Moonraker he is the best bit of the film really uh, he is the best special effect but Moore could also do this uh, for your eyes only he could do something a bit more grounded he could do um, yeah a fairly solid film that makes a bit of a companion piece to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. If you're going to do a double bill of a Bond film, I might do On Her Majesty's Secret Service and then For Your Eyes Only. Or if I watch two on a weekend. Um, and it's another grand film that follows up, funny enough, the Timothy Dalton film, The Living Daylights, um, which takes kind of remnant scatters of Fleming that hadn't quite been adapted, but it's really, it's a really original film. Fleming-esque. Some people say it's more John le Carre than Fleming, uh, but it is a, a good, solid, good, solid uh, film. Oddly enough, it doesn't get shown much on TV now. Possibly the fact that the ending, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, I hope, but the ending <laughs> scenes are set in Afghanistan, and I think there's a certain element of politics around that uh, that made it unfashionable to show on TV for a very, very, very long time. Um, so I think I think this is uh, an overlooked. Bond film. There's 25. Some get seen uh, more than others. Uh, I really enjoy The Living Daylights, and I also think it's got one of the more believable romances, which is always a nice element, if they do it well. When it's crowbarred in, when it feels artificial, you sometimes think they could have done without, but here it feels natural. It, it's part of the plot as well.
Next up, a little lower down than most other lists I know, is Casino Royale. Film's great strength is a return to Fleming material. Um, the novel had been out of Eon Productions' reach for a long time due to copyright wranglings, um, but they they were able finally to get hold of that. Uh, so again, the Fleming stuff is the best bit of it. Uh, bringing back director Martin Campbell, who previously introduced Brosnan and Goldeneye, uh, to also baptise Craig, I think was really good. I think uh, Daniel Craig really makes his mark in the action scenes. Um, but for me the reason it does go down a few pegs is that the romance scenes just do lack the finesse for me and and also seeing the guy who's just just become a double O suddenly deciding to throw it away because he's met the perfect girl that doesn't strike me so well I think it would be a lot better um, if this had been a Brosnan film and then you have an agent who's already thinking of retirement you could have played more into the agent getting older and I think the drama would have been a lot more heightened um, but when I first came out I saw it and I watched it quite a few times but uh, but I would often watch films a few times back then um, and for me I mainly felt the lack of Brosnan and in the romances most especially uh, so it's it's a solid film I know that this this helped create a whole generation of fans uh, but for me shockingly although I put it one below uh, I say, if I was doing this today, I might switch these two round because I'm, I'm fickle with my rankings. Uh, the next favourite is Quantum of Solace. I love this film. This is actually what prompted me to to pick up the Fleming books, and it's reading the Fleming books that made me a fan. But I really, really enjoyed Quantum of Solace when it came out. I saw it in the cinema, 2008. Uh, they say it was hit by the writer's strike, but funnily enough, I always think the script is really, really good. Um, and I think the performances are fantastic. Uh, the, the action is absolutely frenetic. Um, one of them, the boat scene, uh, get, a lot of people seem to get lost in the boat chase and what exactly is going on. Sat down once with a bunch of uh, naval cadets, uh, officer cadets, and we, we slowed down the footage to something like a third of its original speed and, and de- deconstructed how it must be, how the harbour must be, and like, mapped out what the plan... And it all works perfectly. It was a really, really interesting thing. We're all, we're all having a go with it. Um, so a lot of it works really well. I think Craig's strengths were really played too, um, and it, as it really just focuses in on the, the anger phase uh, of losing a loved one. Uh, this is, of course, a direct sequel to Casino Royale. Casino Royale ends, Quantum Solace starts. Um, oddly enough, one of the breaks in continuity is that uh, Casino Royale ends with uh, Bond wearing this kind of nice three-piece pinstripe suit. Quantum of Solace opens with him wearing a two-piece uh, pinstripe suit. He's not just lost the waistcoat, it's a different suit. Um, which some people say is, ah, oh, too much of a break. Um, <laughs> but actually, if you play uh, the video games of these two, as I have, um, then there's actually a scene in between in which the everything, you know, as you might imagine for a video game, it's, it's action-orientated, everything goes nuts. Um, so I imagine the suit is shredded and he just... Like uh, if you've ever seen a transporter film with Jason Statham, where he just opens up the boot of a car and then kind of shrink-wrapped uh, like a new suit and a new shirt and so on. So, so I imagine that one. Anyway, I think they're a good double bill. I have watched them back to back. And if Casino Royale sometimes kind of lacks a bit of an ending, then Quantum Solace is it. And for me, the Ukrainian actress uh, Olga Kulienko really, really shines as a damaged Bond girl, the, the girl with a broken wing who's got a, a physical defect she's had burns down her back, which they don't dwell on, but it's there. Um, and I think that's something that this film does really well. It's there. You know, There's lots of light touch. They don't need to dwell on everything. It's not too heavy. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Quantum of Solace. I say I, uh, I 
bashed out this list on a night uh, for a magazine. And uh, if I if I bashed it out tonight, oh, actually, I might have put this one a bit higher. And something that has crept up over the years is Octopussy, uh, 1983, Roger Moore. Um, I really, really enjoyed a film showing of Pete Brooker for his birthday. He, he invited a bunch of us to watch a special showing of Octopussy. That was so much fun. And I'd already been getting more into it because if you listen to Being James Bond, a really good podcast and YouTube channel uh, by Joe Darlington, who, who rarely rates this film really highly, and listening to those reviews actually increased my own enjoyment of the film. Um, so I do enjoy this film, I enjoy it more and more. Um, I also think it's a great one for non-Bond fans. Because Octopussy came out the same year as Sean Connery's Never Say Never Again, the Eon Bond film, Octopussy, can really played up all the traditional elements of a Bond film. So M is there much more than he usually is. Q is there much more than he usually is. Money Penny is there much more than she usually is. The gadgets are there more. Um, so they really do dial up uh, a lot of the kind of the Bond elements. Um, and it did win the Battle of the Bonds against the non-Eon uh, film, which which yeah, is possible. Yeah, it's a good lazy Saturday afternoon film, but this one rarely hits better. Um, the next one I put down is <laughs> the polar opposite in terms of tone, which is No Time to Die. Um, again, I might have put that higher up. I really, really enjoy No Time to Die, or at least I enjoyed it. Um, because shockingly, for somebody who's a huge fan, and I've been you know, going through lots of elements of this film, um, I've been doing videos on all the books that um, you know, Daniel Craig's James Bond has in his house. Um, I've, just, I've just been reading them, enjoying them, and doing my reviews on YouTube. Um, got the rum that he drinks and actually it's really nice rum blackmail rum um yeah, other rums are available <laughs> i think he also has black label johnny walker so i've been having some of that very smoky um you know it depends on whether you're in the mood for something smoky i've tried the fish actually uh, he has some red snapper fish so i cooked that using a recipe that edward biddulph put on his uh blog license to cook um so thoroughly enjoying <laughs> all those retirement elements um I think the fashion is actually really cool. Um, classic, a bit quirky maybe. Um, the casual pieces, I, I'm really focusing on there. I think it's got great casual fashion. I, I tried out a few of those and it helped diversify my wardrobe, which genuinely was just suits. Um, the old polo, so I've, I've got some casual stuff out of it. But you know what? What I haven't done is watched it twice because it's such an event film. It's like a three-hour event film. I soaked it all in. I've been, you know, on blogs, YouTube, whatever, soaking in all the different elements. I love the music. Um, but yeah, I thought it was brilliant when it came out. But uh, yeah, I have to watch it a few more times. Um, I really, really like the fact that it took so much from the last two Ian Fleming novels, actually, because those, those are some of my favourite novels. I say From Russia With Love is my favourite, but then, say, second or third place are probably those last two Fleming novels. Um, and it took a lot of elements from that. So, uh, yeah, this is this is the floating voter. This might go a lot higher up once I've seen it a few more times and had my opinion settled. Anyway, better move on. Uh, next one is Goldeneye. Um, Kickstarted the modern Bond film, kind of really moving a Bond away from suspense and espionage towards high octane action. It's a very modern film and the result works. They change the world around Bond. Bond himself is kept exactly the same. Um, I think uh, 
I think uh, the the villain Alec Trevelyan is brilliantly played by Sean Bean, and he's he's just really really good in this film. Pierce Brosnan is uh, this fight at the end solid, and uh, of course this is the time when Sean Bean was an absolute star in the UK. He'd been in uh, Sharp, and uh, was the real star there. Um, anyway, anyway, it's a great film. Um, maybe Brosnan is a bit too quiet in this. Maybe a bit too I don't know. Not quite there as Bond yet for me, um, but it's a solid film. Solid film. After that, again we're getting to the the lower lower end of my list. Uh, Thunderball, which I know that for for the generation that remembers its original release, it was the high water mark. It does just kind of repeat Goldfinger, um, takes all of the elements one step beyond. There are some really memorable set pieces. Um, memorable villainess uh, Fiona Volpe who kind of mocks how easily Pussy Galore fell for 007 in the previous film I like that commentary um, but for me this this marks either like the last sensible Connery film or the first really silly one <laughs> it kind of it's on that hinge um, so it's probably not one of my favourites although there's some lovely shirts in the film of course <laughs> Moonraker, I'd say, comes next, although actually I'd probably watch Moonraker a lot more than Thunderball. Um, actually, I'd probably watch uh, Moonraker more than Goldeneye as well. It's kind of the ice cream sundae of Bond films. Mocked and ridiculed, but also much loved. This is the ideal one to show to, like, I know, an eight-year-old boy. Um, it's just great fun. And so on a rainy afternoon, this is a really good one to put on. Uh, it's just sun sunny and fun. And I think certainly in an era of you know Marvel movies I think this fits in very very happily um, yes it's quite fun oddly enough Roger Moore's performance is uh, fairly grounded I think he brings the reality to some of the more ridiculous and outrageous uh, scenes yeah actually a whole load of fun anyway Lowdown is Doctor No um, first film for young productions it just happens to be one I watch probably the least um, but I do like it I just don't often go to it uh, it's the one that really made Connery a household name he wasn't unknown he was a respectable working actor but probably known among actors and, and thespians and you know, directors and so on but uh, he wasn't a household name this made him a household name probably the most striking thing is the fact that the Bond kind of tropes what you expect from a Bond film hadn't been invented uh, so it feels very fresh it doesn't have all of those tropes um, so it does have that very very fresh feeling even though it's the oldest it feels yeah i'm gonna say it a third or fourth time fresh <laughs> perhaps the opposite would be a view to a kill roger moore's swan song but you know if, if you like films of an era um then, then this is very much of its era it's very very 1980s christopher walken and grace jones and villain detail more and his close friend patrick mcnee of TV Avengers fame as the buddy heroes. It, it's, as if you like all things 1980s, even Dolph Lundgren makes a really fleeting appearance as a, as a KGB agent. He was Grace uh, Jones' boyfriend at the time, which is why he was on set, and so he gets his fleeting appearance. But uh, I don't know. This is one that, although it's relatively low down on my list, actually I go to this one pretty often. This is a, a really good one to put on uh, later in the evening, and uh, well, well, I move on to the, to the lower end of the list. Die another day, or normally it ends at bottom, but I actually find it. The, although it's the same, uh, pretty well the same film as Moonraker, similar tone, draws on the book of the same name. I actually watched this recently. I actually really, really enjoyed it. Everyone goes to the invisible car thing, um, but 
I think, it, I think it's fine. Uh, in fact, I watched the Black Widow superhero movie recently, and I thought, oh, it's just like Die Another Day. It's another one of those. So, so really, do you think this is a, a solid uh, kind of superhero outing? And you've got James Bond being very, very James Bond, and then you have you know the Black American James Bond, Haley Berry, and then you've got the evil James Bond, who's the villain, and then you've got uh, yeah, you've got a whole bunch of like James Bond type characters. Um, they're all taking their cues from him. So I don't know. I, this is just this is just a fun one. So uh, even though it's low down in my ranking, this is actually one I go to a lot. On the other hand, the next one down, uh, Live and Let Die. Uh, again, I've, I see people rate this very, very highly. Uh, it's one of my less watched ones, and certainly out of Roger Moore, it's my least favourite, maybe because it, it's just so 70s. Um, and I feel that he hadn't quite gotten into his stride. He gives a very individual performance. He's not copying uh, Connery or Lazenby. He strikes out on his own. Uh, I think largely escapes those comparisons. It's got the supernatural element, which, which works in it. I'm glad they didn't carry on with that. Um, it is a unique one. Um, San Monique uh, is one of the main locations which is fictitious, which is fairly unusual. I think it might have been one of the first. Uh, but although the similarities to Papa Doc's Haiti, uh, presumably entirely intentional. So pretty low down on the list and also low down uh, in my in how often I'd watch it, to be honest. Uh, perhaps funny because the, the next one is The Man of the Golden Gun. There's a bit of continuity between the two films, Chef J.W. Pepper. Um, but for me, it's the Golden Gun, which I rate so highly. And Live and Let Die, wow, just not quite there. Anyway, anyway. After that, my least favourites would be You Only Live Twice. As I say, it's, a, <laughs> it's very, very silly. And I'm not convinced that Sean Connery is the one to sell that. I think the, the darker, more brutal films are really good for Connery. And maybe the superhero... You know, as long as it's vaguely plausible, but uh, this one I, I felt really went off on one. Um, I've occasionally gone back to it, and, and it's never really worked for me, um, especially perhaps because the book is so radically different. I love the book so much, which is a real study in heartbreak, um, and it's such a soulful book. Um, but really, the only thing that's the same is what the set in Japan. Um, yeah, so You Only Live Twice is the one with the hollowed-out volcano. You could watch this film that I've perhaps more readily go to the Simpsons episode, <laughs> which mocks it. Um, which has Scorpio. Funnily enough, has a really good, uh, really good uh, theme tune for the Simpsons episode. Actually, you know what? Nancy Sinatra doing the, the theme for this. That that is probably the best bit of the film. The uh, the title sequence. Um, okay. Diamonds of Forever, that's funny. I guess when I was uh, an undergraduate student, this is one that I regularly put on. I'd often put on the Bond films in the background as maybe as I was working out or doing something else. Um, Diamonds of Forever was one that I'd often go to because it's mad, it's silly, it's got all the Bond bits. Not always a whole load of logic as to why it has a particular Bond trope in it, but uh, it's just a bit of a mad 70s caper. Connery kind of meanders through it. Um, he was tempted back to do this one uh, by the largest paycheck for an actor in movie history, and <laughs> he does play it like it's the last school day before the holidays. He's not having a great time, and uh, I think the, the strain on the budget does rarely show. Um, you never want a Bond film to look cheap. I'm not saying it looks like a cheap film, but compared to the other Bond films, this doesn't quite have the, the pizzazz. Something that has all the pizzazz and all the visuals of Spectre. Visually, it is gorgeous. Um, and there's a lot to it. Um, but I just think Blofeld's rebooted origin story, no spoilers, but it just places it very, very low on many lists for me. 
actually the reason it goes the lowest because I could always put together some kind of edit where you cut that bit out. But for me, the fact that the plan's villain, sorry, the, the villain's plan, it just what is it? It's not very clear. It's not very intimidating, and the finale ends up kind of meandering about a bit for me, which is interesting because. Uh, yeah, the 2014 Sony hack gave intantalizing insight into what might have been, and I think those are actually reading those, um, or listening to them, I listened to them on uh, the podcast James Bond and Friends, and yeah, that that sounds really, really interesting. So for me, Spectre is a, a spectre of what it might have been. Okay, <laughs> that is my list. Please do take this with a pinch of salt. It's just a bit of fun, uh, except for those top ones. Those are going to stay. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and let me know. Let me know what you think. You can email me at uh, albionneverdies at gmail dot com, or you can message me on Instagram at Fleming Never Dies. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>